Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Thank you all for coming. Got a good crowd here today. It's a beautiful morning in Second Life. Here in the Deer Park at the Buddha Center. So for this morning's talk, I thought I'd uh, start by having having everyone sort of come back to come back to what is really real this is always what we're aiming for is to attain an understanding a true experience of reality but today I just wanted to talk about um, really the whole of the universe or the world as we experience it want everyone to sort of take a moment to step back and pull out of who you are, pull out of the identity and the situations that we find ourselves in. When I was doing summer theater way back in my in my teens, not so far not so far away. Not so long ago, um, we would come to the rehearsals with a lot of baggage, and I remember coming stressed out about exams. And the director would stop us at the door and say, "Put your bags down. Leave your baggage at the door." And she was very firm about it. It was a. It was the first thing she would say to us: "Leave your bags at the door." So this is what I like to ask everyone to do now, because I want us to think about reality unconditionally. I want us to get at least a glimpse or an intellectual understanding of what reality really is what the what the true nature of the universe is we can see when we pull ourselves out of who and what we are and all of the posturing and ego and um, stress and and the problems that we build up in our lives we see that the universe is actually quite a wonderful and remarkable place full of so much that we miss on a regular basis there's the old saying can't see the forest for the trees the trees are in the way 
and this is really how we live our lives we have our nose to the grindstone plodding on <clears throat> and we really don't take in much of the universe around us I mean for, forget about second life for a second and the beauty and the the serenity of the deer park think of the room that you're in I would say if you're anything like if your room is anything like my room it's not too pleasing at first sight there's a mess there's ordinary objects maybe there's unpleasant things like work that has to be done or even uh, reminders of the dr drudgery of life but all of this is really our our conditioning that that leads us to this very narrow-minded or restricted view of reality when we open ourselves up we can see that the room that we're in is actually quite wonderful right now in my room there's sunlight streaming in through the window it's actually morning here there's a tree outside you know there's a wonderful chair that I'm sitting in I mean it, it depends on how you look at it and just the wonder of being alive the wonder of the mind, the wonder of our existence. In fact, all of those things I mentioned are also conditioned, but it really wakes us up. It's, it's still a, a limited, this is an intellectual exercise, it's nothing to replace meditation. But it helps us to get a, 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 a glimpse of what enlightenment might mean, true enlightenment. And how we can see that the only thing that binds us to suffering is ourselves, is our own limited, restricted um, experience of reality. So meditation should be the practice of removing these restrictions and opening our minds to experience. In fact, all of the good things in life also restrict us. Second life, we look at the beauty here around us in the deer park. And this as well restricts our experience of reality as we uh, attach uh, a value judgment to it and we're sitting here enjoying this wonderful time together and suddenly real life bursts in a telephone call or a family member crashing in demanding your attention and bliss and serenity turns to anger and frustration, annoyance. So I'm not trying to advocate that we um, attach any significance to things like sunlight streaming in through the window or um, you know, the, the, the joys of life. 
In fact, I'm suggesting that we find joy and happiness in inside, within ourselves. We find true peace and happiness within. The Buddha said there there is no happiness apart from peace. Nati santi parang sukhang. And it's a very profound saying. It's a very difficult to accept saying, I think, for most people. Because we're so devoted to this narrowing of our reality, defining and delineating what is good, what is pleasurable. So focused and fixed on finding a pleasurable experience outside of ourselves. That the idea that that happiness is to be found within, that that none of these things are, are truly happy, is, is completely uh, not only alien to us, but 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 incredibly and uh, completely unwelcome. You have to be careful as a Buddhist teacher. If you say the wrong thing, you often end up with an angry audience. You, you're t if you're too honest, you, you end up upsetting people. Because we're so attached to these things, beauty, friendship, or, or relationships, romance, and so on. But when we step back, we can see that even the good things in life, the quote-unquote good things or, or pleasures of life, they all boil down to a sort of partiality, reacting rather than experiencing. We do so little experiencing and so much reacting And we don't realize that by reacting to everything that arises, we're not in a static state of being. We are creating something. Every moment that we react, we create. We build up walls. We build up identity. We build up self, ego attachment and addiction, aversion, um, and ultimately lust and hatred and, and conceit and arrogance and so on. We build these up, we create these, we develop them. We, we, don't, we aren't free to simply react as we like, objectively. We create an identity of, of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. We, we compartmentalize reality and do the good and the bad. And most of what I say should be obvious to, it, to us. The point is that
the the idea that this is somehow the optimum state of being you know that we should all find our favorites our partialities and and be done with it is false this is actually an inferior state of being and it's one which is tearing the world apart it's the one which leads us in a world of abundance to a situation of incredible scarcity in a world where there's enough food to feed everyone and more we have the majority of the world living in poverty and starvation so we can argue and, and, and say how, how great it is to enjoy the the good things in life but the truth is when that becomes our goal and that becomes the ultimate um, summum bonum of life m most of us are not going to be able to achieve that summum bonum most of us are going to go in the opposite direction as we work to feed the select few who are able to achieve it as we fight and war over the suddenly limited resources from a state of abundance we go to a state of scarcity the 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 greater state of being the one which allows for all beings to be happy is one of experiencing rather than reacting letting things be the way they are and letting things be the way they are is is also not a static state it's not like when you practice meditation this is one thing I find difficult to get across It's not like when you practice meditation, that's all you get. You know, you have to just experience things. So when there's pain, you have to accept the pain. And that's it. That's the best you can expect from meditation. No, actually, as we accept things, we find the whole of reality expanding and the constructs and the creations unraveling. I don't think anyone would deny that there's a lot of suffering in the human existence. We can see the the beauty and the happiness, but we can also see the suffering and the 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 hardship. And it's this hardship that is created by our addictions and our attachments, our clinging, our coarseness of being. As we start to let go, not only does our human state become uh, less full of hardship, but our state of being in general changes. This is how we get beings, we hear of angels and gods, Brahma. And these states are these are states that are attained through non-clinging, 
this is um, a lightness, if you will, of mind. And, and these state, the states, like or reality, like the angel or the god or, or or other states of being, this is one source of tension for for many Buddhists or many non-cultural Buddhists who haven't grown up in this mindset. It seems like taking something on blind faith, but it it really, I assure you, it isn't. That in fact, as you meditate, it's the only thing that makes sense. You can feel it. You can feel the coarseness of mind dragging you down. You can feel the lightness of mind raising you up. You can see reality unraveling, expanding. You can see this coarseness and this hardship, this this weight uh, dissipating. You don't feel the same connection with the human world as you used to. It's not as though you're um, dry and 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 uh, you know like a zombie or a robot. It it feels natural, pure, and free. That the more you practice and the more you just experience, the less coarseness. Um, the, the the less you you can relate to the coarseness and find yourself uninterested in many of the so-called happinesses of the human existence. I'd always wondered whether angels um, engage in the same sort of of pleasures as human beings. You know, do do angels have sexual intercourse? It's not really spelled out in the in the Buddha's teaching. Just an idle curiosity, really, because they're supposed to be very much still entrenched in in sensual pleasures for the most part. But I think it's it's obvious that the answer is no. That um, most of the pleasures that we take for granted as being, you know. Uh, true and natural and good are, are really only a product of the coarseness of our reality. There's this interesting talk that the Buddha gave explaining how uh, sensual desire came about, how the how the genders came about in fact. And it came about through clinging, through beings who were living in a much more natural, a much more normal state. And see, this is the funny thing. We think that a human being is a natural, normal state. But but really, there's nothing natural or normal about the human. Why do we have ten fingers and ten toes? Why why do we have you know a heart and a spleen and a, and kidneys and so on? The evolutionist answer is that it came about you know, naturally. Well, the Buddhist answer is the same. It came about naturally, but it came about. It was a creation. It was a, um, you know, over millions of years, this development, this refining, um, maybe refining is a bad word because it's this debasing of reality into an incredibly um, narrow, constricted state of experience. And so this came about from generation after generation of of in increased attachment and addiction and, and building up systems by which the pleasant can be obtained, leading to greater and greater states of, of scarcity as we fight and 
bicker and argue over who gets what. So why is it that we react? The Buddha said there are four kinds of reaction or partiality, four ways that we create this um, compartmentalization of reality separating things out into the good, the bad, the acceptable, the unacceptable. The first one is obviously because of our desires. We want things. And I've sort of gone over this already. Our wants lead us to a state of scarcity, from abundance to scarcity. When we appreciate things, it's so funny to talk to people who are entrenched in this idea that wanting things is a good thing, because they'll 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 wriggle and and writhe every which way trying to escape the the truth, really, or or trying to avoid argument at any rate. They say, well, it's not that I want something; it's that I appreciate it. It's not that I'm attached to it. I just appreciate it, which is really just a euphemism for, for liking it. If you, if you uh, appreciate things, you're going to um, not like others. And you're certainly not going to like it when I tell you to stop appreciating things. This is a funny thing when you talk to these people. They're like, oh, no, no, I'm not attached. And say, well, you know, when you like things, it's going to lead you to not like other things. No, no, that's not the case. And so you insist that you know, when they practice, they should try to acknowledge and not cling. And, and they start to get upset about it. Um, which is a, a true sign that there is actually an attachment there. And so the, the next one is is through through anger. Uh, anger and greed, you can say, um, they complement each other quite nicely. They're the brother and sister of defilements. Because when you like certain things, you inevitably dislike other things. But it's not quite so simple as that. It's not like, I like apples, therefore I'm going to not like oranges. But it's it's an inherent part of of liking something. It's an, it's an inherent um, characteristic of, of liking that it pulls you in one direction. It takes you out of balance. You can imagine a a tree, for instance, and you have a rope and you pull the tree in one direction. Well, you're creating tension. It's not in balance. There's no way you can avoid the anger and um, displeasure when you don't get what you want. 
because you're no longer in a balanced state of, of being. You, you can juggle it. I think there are people who manage to uh, avoid uh, anger in, in many ways, but it's, it's a precarious situation and it could come, come crashing down at any time. Mostly we, 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 we live denying that there's any problem with life. People who appreciate or, or enjoy things think that life is, is, is all good. It's all full of wonderful, beautiful things that you really, really like to live, really, really enjoy. Um, they're, they're, it, they're, they're victim of this tunnel vision where we're only able to or this selective memory where we only remember those things that we want to remember people who are have a negative state of mind tend to only want to remember the negative things in life people who have a positive state of mind only want to remember the positive things in life but for both people good and bad things occur and for both people anger and, and um, upset occurs now, anger in and of itself is something that obviously, I think, without needing any explanation, um, creates an incredible compartmentalizing, you know, this narrow, restricted view of reality. It's amazing how an ordinary person can become so much more when you apply anger to the situation. Someone who one minute ago was a stranger or even a friend is suddenly an enemy, is suddenly um, persona non grata, suddenly unacceptable, and can, can remain that way in, your, in one's mind for a long, long time. how certain states can become so unpleasant that the, the the mere arising of the experience leads to uh, rage and um, well, pain is a good example I think pain we become so knee-jerk in our our reaction to pain that it's very difficult to tell people that there's nothing wrong with pain that it's really just an experience of reality it's actually natural very difficult to explain this to people even more difficult to have them accepted enough to actually try and actually um, put their whole heart into trying to see it for what it is we can sit there and say to ourselves, pain, pain, pain. But what we're really saying is pain, pain, pain. Upset and, and you know, just waiting for it to go away. And so often we mistake this, you know, this, this repetition that we have, this reminding ourselves of things as they are, as sort of a magic trick that when you say pain, 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 it's going to somehow go away. It actually is quite magic if you get good at it. But But getting good at it means letting go of it, letting it be, no longer clinging to it. So anger, the Buddha said, is another way of creating this partiality 
the third one is delusion and delusion is this interesting one um, the word the Pali word is moha that we always translate as delusion um, I can't think of a very better uh, any better translation for it but it, it's it's a difficult word in English delusion is like stupidity it means um, you know, ignorance and uh, misunderstanding of reality you could say it means misunderstanding, moha. And moha doesn't show itself very often because it generally takes the mask of greed or anger. But the truth is when you're greedy or angry, it means you've already misunderstood reality. When you get angry about something, it means you've misunderstood it. You've taken it to be more than it is. When I yell at you or when I call you bad names, when I say nasty things to you, when you, as soon as you get angry at, at, at me, it's your fault. You're, you're in the wrong. If we understood this simple fact, we could solve so many of the world's problems. I regularly get called out for things I, I post or say on the internet. And... Um, I could very well be at fault. I could be wrong about some of the things I say. But generally, my defense is that it's just my opinion. I have opinions and ideas and I'm doing something. I'm, I'm presenting something. If you don't like it, if you don't agree with it, you're welcome to go elsewhere. And I think probably a lot of people do that. Probably a lot of people far more enlightened than I am are just ignoring me. Saying, okay, well, let him, let him go with that and maybe someday he'll He'll grow out of it. And so all of those people who, who come and criticize and say nasty things to me, I just think, well, you know, obviously they're not more enlightened. When, when you react to something, and we do this a lot on the internet, I think, we react either in a good or a bad way, but When we follow the Buddha's teaching, we, we, we come to look at things in a different way. You didn't make me angry. I made myself angry. And this is a wonderful, wonderful truth. And if we can realize this, if we can just get our minds around it, I see this mistake made so many times. You're angry and you're right away ready to take it out on me. I did something bad. Maybe I did do something bad. It's really not your problem. But you've made it your problem. You've turned it into your problem. You've created a problem for yourself, which is this anger. And so you think, okay, I'll just get angry and I'll yell and so on, and that'll solve things. That'll show him. That'll teach him. But it doesn't. It doesn't solve anything. It just creates bad, it just creates suffering for yourself, guilt. Hmm. And this is, this is, this is the, the, the meaning of the word moha. When we get angry or when we get greedy because of misunderstanding. Misunderstanding is, um, 
has an is is an important obviously in for this reason it's a it's an incredibly important part of of uh, Buddhist teaching but it 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 also answers the to me it answers this question and recently I answered a question but I left something out and I thought about it afterwards this idea that is it possible to um, counteract the um, the effects of one defilement with the other? So, when you really want something, is it possible to counteract it by getting angry or or, or, or hating it, hating the object? Saying, "Oh, it's no good anyway," or ah, "It's probably rotten," or so on. On the other hand, can you um, counteract things like repression with its opposite, with um, you know the acceptance? So people talk about. Um, there was a friend of mine. He said tantra or tantric sex has helped him come to terms with his repression. Of of sexual desire, he must. He was as a young person. He had never had this, you know, this encounter with women or you know, se sexual experience, and so it was always a source of conflict in his mind. And he found that it opened him up. And so this is an argument that one might be able to to counterbalance the uh, counteract the other but i think this is the key is that both of them are based on delusion based on misunderstanding so you might supplant one with the other or you might negate one with the other but you're all the time building up more and more states of delusion in your mind you're never free from this misunderstanding and you should be able to see this uh in in people who try such things that they're not able to see things clearly, that they have, um, at the very least, a state of ego or, or um, delusion, attachment. You're not able, it doesn't do anything to remove this, this uh, attachment and identification, the underlying problem, which is delusion. And so in actual fact, in our Buddhist practice, we're not so concerned about greed or anger. When greed comes up, don't try to suppress it. When anger comes up, don't try to suppress it. Don't say, this is bad, this is wrong, oh, my practice is wrong. Because you're identifying with it. You're immediately creating this sense of I. You're missing the real point, which is delusion. In meditation, in insight meditation, we're, our goal is not to do away with anger and greed, it's to do away with delusion. It's to get at the root. Because... There are other meditations which very easily can do away with greed and anger but can't get rid of delusion. When you focus your mind very strongly on something, you have no greed and you have no anger. But when you finish, it's gone and the anger and the greed come back. Why? Because there's still delusion in the mind. These types of meditation are not able to penetrate the veil of delusion. And the fourth type of partiality that the Buddha taught is from fear. Fear is this 
interesting state and I've, I've actually uh, done a little bit of research on it because in fact fear is not something that is well explained in the Buddhist texts leads me to think that actually in a way um, fear as a concept has really developed over time that in the Buddhist time there was not much concern over it but it is it does come up here in this teaching of the Buddha on on the types of partiality agata agata which means partiality agati So, in according to the the tradition, the ancient texts, uh, fear is actually associated with anger. It's not separate from anger. So, in terms of our our meditation practice, it can be understood as a a disliking of something, a reacting against something, not wishing for, wishing for something to happen, wishing for something not to happen. So, it's related to anger. Without the arising of anger, there is no fear. But fear has its special category here because in terms of our relationships with people and with the reality around us, it plays a, a very important part, a very important role. And in meditation it plays a role as well. We're not able to, we're not willing to let go of our attachments right when people hear about nibbana nirvana when i heard about nirvana in the beginning it's a very scary concept very scary thing very scary idea and once i started practicing buddhism it was it was even more terrifying because i really agreed with what the buddha taught i really appreciated it and i really saw the benefit but i was like I don't want nibbana. I don't want you know, nirvana. Now, part of this fear is is misplaced because you know, nirvana is not a one-way road. It's something that can be realized even for just a moment. It's a state of of total freedom, total release, total cessation of suffering. But it's not necessarily I mean, the the realization of nibbana, nirvana, um, in one sense or in in one aspect of it. For the beginner, or not for the beginner, but for a uh, a meditator on the path, is not permanent. It's it's a state which wakes one up, which which leads to um, you know, an increase in one's level of enlightenment. But it's not permanent, it's not like poof, gone, no chance to come back. So you still have time to come back and review and say, well, okay, which is better? You still have time to come back and say, is there really nothing for me in this world? You know, Is it really not better clinging? You can still come back, and most people do. And most people are content, most meditators are content even after having seen Nibbana or Nirvana to come back and live in the life, live in life with simply less clinging 
uh, though still a fair fair portion of it. But it's fear that keeps us from letting go. It's fear that keeps us from being free. It's fear that keeps us getting angry, it keeps us getting greedy. We say, you know, if I don't cling to the things that I love, how will I find happiness? They'll all, all of these things will disappear then. I might not get them. If I don't try hard for their arising, for their appearance, they might not come. And wouldn't that be terrible? And see, it's, it's sort of delusion-based. We have this idea that somehow there's something better about certain experiences. We have this fear that we're going to lose them. We, uh, it's our fear that keeps us from giving up anger as well. We think, you know, if we don't fight back, if we don't stand up for ourselves, people will walk all over us. So we think that somehow conflict is, is useful, it's a good thing. i say in certain situations, conflict can be useful. It helps to open up. In the sense, in the same sense as um, opening up a festering wound can help it to heal. It, it isn't always true that you can leave a wound alone, and it will heal. But that doesn't mean that there's anything beneficial uh, in in anger. You don't have to create conflict through anger. It's possible to create conflict uh, through wisdom, helping people to see the the problem with their uh, point of view. And it's fear which keeps us from giving up delusion, giving up ego, giving up conceit, giving up the identification of, of I, of me, of mine. You know, this fear of being a nobody, fear of being alone, Fear, fear of the future, the worrying, you know, these states of worry that we have, who's worrying that things might not work out the way they should, worrying about other people. Even if there's no greed or anger involved per se, this fear and this, this worry, this flustering of mind, This is what we spend much of our time in, rather than seeing things, rather than experiencing, reacting. How do we how do we get rid of this partiality? What do we do to overcome it? I think I've already um, sort of given that away. That the opposite is therefore just experiencing, and this is the purpose of meditation. This should be a, a good explanation, I think, of why we should meditate. We're not meditating just to see our breath. We're not meditating just to you know, learn more about our bodies and our mind. We're meditating to change the way we 
the way we experience reality, the way we interact with the world around us, the way our mind works. We're meditating to change the habits that we've formed in regards to the world around us from reacting to just experiencing. That's why we have this technique of reminding ourselves because if we don't remind ourselves again and again and again, we'll fall back into our uh, habitual way of reacting to the world. We won't be able to experience. Experiencing things simply for, as, for what they are is not the ordinary state of existence. It's not something that you can just do. And so we have to work at it. We remind ourselves again and again. Eventually it catches on. You can feel the release, the freedom. You feel yourself floating, as it were. Though, don't quote me on that. If you start floating, if you start feeling lighter on your meditation mat, that's not what I mean. Um, that is, that's a common experience, but it's not the point. The point is a lightness of mind. That you don't feel so attached to things. You don't feel such a connection with the um, things that you used to find uh, so much um, importance and uh, true worth, you start to see them as, you start to see that they are truly uh, worthless. There's no in inherent benefit in clinging. And this is the key to enlightenment, that nothing in the world is worth clinging to. This realization, in essence, is enlightenment, that to understand and to appreciate and to find the supreme state of existence, one has to accept, yeah. one has to open oneself up to all of reality, to the full spectrum of things as they are. So I'd like to uh, stop there. Thank you all for coming. And that's the Dhamma for today. If anyone has any questions, I'm happy to answer. Otherwise, have a good day. <laughs>